1: This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. There is a lot in the news, as they say, and there's a lot that we're talking about. One of the things that I find most amazing is that going all the way back to 2016, the Trump campaign has stiffed numerous cities they go into a city to do a campaign rally. This is not the president of the United States comes to town to meet the people. It's not that. This is private. This is paid for by the campaign. Of course, we're paying for all the security of the Secret Service and all that kind of stuff in Air Force One. You know, it all comes out of your and my paychecks. But the security for the events is supposed to be paid for by the campaign because it's a campaign event. It's not the president coming to, you know, dedicate the Hoover Dam kind of thing. And they've stiffed all these little towns. And this is the way Donald Trump has done business for years. He's been sued something like 3,000 times by people that he didn't pay. And basically, you know, they sue him, he ignores it, or they sue him and he countersues them and eventually they go away. And this is one of the ways that this guy who's a phony billionaire, he's not really a billionaire, he's only worth a few million dollars, if that, given his debts. This is the way he stays alive. He stays afloat is by ripping people off. And now as president, he's doing this. So the question, Louise and I were discussing this last night and she's like, do you think he does this because he just likes doing it? Does he get some kind of weird pleasure out of screwing people? Or is he doing this because he's desperate for cash? And I honestly don't know the answer to that question, but you know, if you have some thoughts on it, I'd love to hear your opinion. Donald Trump yesterday also said, help from a foreign government. He said Norway. I think on Fox and Friends this morning, he is a different country. Um, I think it was France, Macron. But the reality is that Norway and France are not all that interested in influencing our elections, but Saudi Arabia sure is, and Israel may be, or at least Netanyahu, and certainly Russia is, and probably China is, and North Korea might be. So are we going to do something about this? Well, First of all, let me just make something very clear. Louise and I were driving around, yesterday, we went out to, we went to lunch together yesterday afternoon. after a, a long day, we went to our favorite Ethiopian restaurant. We've been completely totally vegan now for about three months. and it's absolutely amazing. My blood pressure is going down to the point that I'm having to take less blood pressure medication. seriously. It's just incredible. And but but anyhow, we were on our way to lunch. in the car. We've got Sirius XM and, so we were kind of tuning around and popped onto Fox News, and all they were talking about was, why are they criticizing Donald Trump for taking a thing of value from Russia, you know, and Don Jr. for wanting to take a thing of value from Russia, that is specifically Hillary's emails, and other support, like on Facebook and things. Why are they criticizing Donald Trump for this when Hillary Clinton did the same thing with Steele? Well, let's establish once and for all that this is total BS. What they're saying is a lie, and here's the simple difference. And I, and I and in fact, we also popped over to CNN, and on CNN they had one of the Democratic candidates. It was Julian Castro, on, and the guy said, "Well, you know, the Republicans are saying that Hillary Clinton getting information from Steele is the same thing as Donald Trump getting help and information from the Russians. What's you know, what's your problem with this?" And Castro goes into this kind of long blithering response. That was like, and I'm screaming at the radio going, there's a difference between a gift and hiring somebody. The law says it is unlawful for a foreign national directly or indirectly to make a contribution or donation of money or any other thing of value. Express or implied or to make a contribution or donation to a committee or political party or to make an expenditure, independent expenditure, disbursement. In other words, it's illegal for a foreign national, for a person who is in a foreign country to give something to a campaign in exchange for nothing. Now, why would that be? Because we all know what quid pro quo means, right? Somebody comes along and, and says, uh, hey, Tom, you know, uh, I think you're a wonderful person. Here's $10,000 just for you. And I take that money, and then they call me two weeks later and say, hey, can I be on your show? What am I getting? I mean, you know, that's why I don't take individual gifts from people. I mean, you know, this is, this is just friggin' common sense. It's illegal for foreign nationals to give gifts to campaigns. There's nothing in here that says, however, that a campaign cannot hire a foreign national. In other words, a campaign can go to Michael Steele. And in this case, by the way, it was the Marco Rubio campaign who paid for Michael Steele, not the Hillary Clinton campaign. It was Marco Rubio and a newspaper up in, uh, in Washington, D.C. I think it's a Washington Examiner owned by some right-wing billionaire who was working on behalf of the Marco Rubio campaign that hired Steele, he is a foreign national. He's not a foreign service. But they hired him, you know, to do research and they paid him. And that's not illegal. Because after you, you know, Michael Steele says, "Okay, here, you know, it looks like uh, Donald Trump hired some hookers to pee in the bed that Donald that Obama slept in." And he reports that back to Marco Rubio's campaign. And then after Rubio dropped out of the campaign, that became part of about a 1000-page document that Fusion GPS, an American company, had compiled on behalf of Marco Rubio, and they sold that then when Rubio didn't want it, they sold that to the Hillary campaign. They had hired Michael Steele. Marco Rubio had hired Michael Steele and paid him. So, you know, six months later, Michael Steele can't call up Marco Rubio and say, hey, you owe me a favor. I want you to pass legislation that helps out my buddy who, who, uh, you know, uh, runs toxic metal industry in Miami or something like that. I mean, I would think any idiot would know the difference between these two. And yet it seems like every reporter on television hasn't been able to figure it out. George Washington warned about foreign interference, intrigue and influence. Trump got a gift and in exchange for that gift, he has an obligation, which he seems to be fulfilling. The Rubio campaign paid for Michael Steele's services. There's no obligation there. He's been paid. It's apples and oranges. It's not illegal to pay somebody to work for your campaign. In fact, that's how it's supposed to work. But when somebody works for your campaign for free, if they're an American citizen, fine. You end up giving them a cabinet position or something. Yes, there's an obligation, but they're an American citizen. But if they're a foreign national, it is a crime. So Mark Warner, the Democrat from Virginia, Senator Mark Warner, Puts a very small, short bill on the floor of the Senate that simply says if you are contacted by a foreign government offering to give you something, you have to call the FBI. And Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, the number, by the way, for both of them is 202 225 3121, if you want to share your opinions on this. Senator Marsha Blackburn immediately blocks the attempt to get a vote on it. This is insane. This is just insane. And meanwhile, well, there's just so much in the news, Senator Sanders gave an extraordinary speech yesterday in which he was essentially defending what we would call democratic socialism as the only way to defeat oligarchy and authoritarianism. And Senator Sanders is on the line with us right now. Senator, welcome back. Hey, Tom, how are you? Great. Great to have you with us. That was a hell of a speech. You want to, for people who didn't hear it or didn't catch it, uh, you want to summarize the points you were making? Yeah, thank you. Number one, what I did Is make the point
2: that way back in 1944, in a not widely publicized speech, State of the Union speech, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said something that was really profound. And what he said, Tom, is that we have a Bill of Rights, we have a Constitution that protects our political rights, your freedom of speech, your freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, and all of that is enormously important. But what we don't have, and what we should have, and this is what he said way back in 1944, he said, we need an economic bill of rights. We need to guarantee that all of the people in our country have economic rights. What are those economic rights? Those economic rights mean that when you go to work, you get decent pay, a decent job, that everybody is entitled to health care, that everybody is entitled to all of the education that they need. That people have the right to live in decent and affordable housing, that when you get old you can retire with dignity. That you have a right to know that when you turn on the water force it in your home the water you are drinking is not toxic. So we talked about yesterday is economic rights as human rights. So right now you got the right to vote, but meanwhile you're working two or three jobs and you can't provide for your family. We gotta change that. That's number one. Number two, the point that I made is that if you are going to be defeat right-wing authoritarianism, whether it's Donald Trump in the United States or Putin or all of these other authoritarian leaders around the world who are attacking democracy, the only way that I know how you do that is you have an agenda that speaks to the needs of working families, and you have a movement which is prepared to stand up to the very powerful special interests that control our economic and political life. Now, you know, a lot of folks out there are very well intentioned. Everybody talks about we have to improve health care, we have to improve education and climate change and all that. But at the end of the day, there is a reason why, in the last 43 years, the average American worker has seen no increase in his or her inflation accounted for wages. Imagine that 43 years, an explosion of technology. Explosion of worker productivity, and and working families are in exactly the same place in terms of their real wages. There's a reason why the very, very rich are getting richer. There's a reason why Wall Street today, after being bailed out, their concentration of ownership is even greater. Reason why the fossil fuel industry continues to go forward, destroying the planet. And we've got to recognize that. And that's a hard thing to do. But I think what we are striving for in this campaign, and what I do, is to try to create an unprecedented grassroots movement that is, in fact, prepared to take on the incredibly powerful special interests whose greed is destroying what this country is all about. So that,
1: in a nutshell, is what a 45-minute speech was about. That's, that's great. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on uh, President Trump's statement yesterday that uh, it's fine to accept gifts, things of value, in, the, in this case, information, from foreign governments.
2: What it reminded me of is, and then he says in so many words, he says, Well,
1: you know, that's the way the real world is. Yeah, he says every member of Congress does it, right? I've never heard of such a thing. I think
2: he used the word real world. You know, and when you think about this guy's business career and the fact that he was involved in, I think, some 3,000 lawsuits, that he ripped off many of the small private contractors, that is his real world. His real world is not based upon any ethical standard. He lies, he cheats. So if you have that moral standard, then why would we be surprised that if somebody came in and gave him illegal information that he would use it? So, you know, I'm not shocked by anything that comes out of the White House and that's why our major priority has got to be to defeat somebody who really does believe as president he is above the law and that the constitution
1: and the laws of the United States do not apply to him. Yeah, so well said. Senator Bernie Sanders, the only way to defeat oligarchy and authoritarianism it's so great to have you with us, Senator. Thank you so much for dropping by today.
2: Okay, Tom, you take care. Bye bye. You too.
1: Well, it's Friday, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to a weekend, but I'm also on a book deadline here, so I'm going to be sitting in front of a word processor probably for 10 or 12 hours this weekend, and, and then, uh, you know, we're going to get over and see our grandson and, and hopefully go do a little hiking. All of that, though, ends up you know for for me anyway <laughs> with aches and pains a sore back stiff legs and one of the best things that i've found for this is the the anti-inflammatory and pain, potent pain relieving properties of cbd oil and in my experience and louise and i both use this the the best brand the the highest quality brand of cbd oil out there this is now totally legal is new leaf all across the country is new leaf naturals that's nu leaf naturals and they make a CBD oil that's just extraordinary. It is uh, the most highly concentrated CBD oil on the market. It is 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the United States, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to NewLeafNaturals.com. That's N-U-LeafNaturals.com. And you can save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM. That's spelled T-H-O-M. So go to NUleafNaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, NewleafNaturals.com. And be sure to use that code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get your 30% off and support our podcast. There is a few things that I wanted to bring up here. Uh, Number one, America is terribly divided right now in fact the new york times had a piece by timothy williams titled with most states under one party's control america grows more divided and it turns out that basically every single state with one single exception is controlled by a republican governor a republican house or assembly and a republican senate or by a democratic governor a democratic house and a democratic senate That would be the case with California, the Democrats. It would be the case of Louisiana, for example, the Republicans. And they're moving in these radically different directions. I mean, he points out in his article, Illinois, you know, once Illinois got J.B. Pritzker, a, a good Democrat, as governor of Illinois, boom, they're moving forward. They have deemed abortion a fundamental right for women, no matter what the Supreme Court says. They have raised the minimum wage, or they're working to. They're taking steps to legalize recreational marijuana. They've introduced a graduated income tax. And I would say, hey, about time, what, well, they have a flat tax in, in Illinois. On the other hand, he points out in uh, Alabama, Alabama lawmakers voted to ban most abortions. They eliminated marriage licenses so that probate judges opposed to same-sex marriage wouldn't have to sign them. And they approved requiring sex offenders who commit crimes involving kids to undergo chemical castration at their own expense. So we're seeing basically these very, very different directions that our states are going in as a consequence of these takeovers. In fact, I would argue that the Republican takeovers, the state-by-state Republican takeovers, are really the pinnacle of the achievement of the Koch brothers with the American Legislative Exchange Council and these other groups that they have started. Numerous groups all have freedom in their name somewhere to take over state government state-by-state-by-state. And where you see the Democrats surging back, it's where people have For some time, as in Illinois, we had had a Republican governor for a while and saw what was going on and said, we don't want that, thank you very much. You know, we would like to have good infrastructure. We would like to have decent schools. Republicans don't want to have any of that. They don't want to pay for it because it would involve raising taxes on their donor class, which they're unwilling to do. And so, you know, it's all about the money. So, and in fact, I would say that probably the vast majority of this divide at least the Republican end of this divide is being driven by big money, which comes out of the Supreme Court's Buckley decision in 76 and their Citizens United decision in 2010, among others. And I mean, you know, corporate personhood going back to the 1880s explicitly and arguably going all the way back to 1814 and the Dartmouth College case. So what the Republicans have done in efforts to keep their taxes low on their donor class, you know, they're raising fees on all the rest of us, they're making it so that democratic states, if you live in those states, you can't deduct your property taxes and things, you can't deduct your state income taxes for more than $10,000. I mean, this is part of Trump's reform of taxes so that the states, those states that actually have good public infrastructure, have good public education, they will have higher state taxes, of course, because you have to pay for these things. And it used to be that you could deduct your state taxes from your federal taxes. Now, people in those states that have done good by their people, Their people are getting screwed by Donald Trump and the Republicans' tax scam, the GOP tax scam. And they're also working to reduce regulation, which is is something that we call public protections, right? Regulations of poisons in the air, poisons in the water, the things that are carbon products, uh, methane and carbon dioxide, that are destroying our atmosphere and possibly bringing out extinctions well certainly bringing out animal extinctions uh, you know the human race itself could be facing extinction or at least some very 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 serious problems in short order and And then you get the Catholics and evangelicals, you know, kind of getting into bed with each other. This happened right around the time that Reagan was elected. Prior to that, the evangelicals were in favor of a woman's right to choose an abortion. They decided to change that position and join the Catholics. And now this has become part of the Republican coalition. They're drawing these people into their party. The NRA and guns, that's the the Republican coalition bigotry in the form of opposition to gay marriage, promoting so-called school choice so that they can keep schools white and all this kind of stuff. The Republicans, because their agenda is entirely economic, they've had to cobble together these other coalitions of other people who are like out there. So the big question is, as this all tears America apart, how do we bring this country together? Will our democracy survive this process? And pouring gasoline on the flames, you've got right-wing hate radio in well over a thousand towns across the United States. And you've got Fox News 24-7 pouring gasoline on these flames. The billionaire Rupert Murdoch, as Kevin Rudd, the former prime minister of Australia, wrote in an op-ed for the Sydney Morning Herald back about, I don't know, maybe six months ago or so. I shared it with you on this program. He said the title, the headline, was Rupert Murdoch is a cancer on the democracy of Australia. He owns over half the media in Australia. He flipped Australia to the right several times, and Australia now is really struggling with that. There's a big movement even to privatize their healthcare system coming out of these billionaires in Australia. One of the biggest political actors in Australia is a woman who is the richest person in the country. She owns a bunch of mining concessions, including coal mining. Now, Australia, the right wing politicians, the Republicans of Australia, that's not the name of their party, but their equivalent, are trying to shoot down climate change. Why? Because they've got a big donor who's a fossil fuel billionaire, just like the Republicans in the United States taking money from Charles Koch or through his organizations. So, how do we survive this? How do we make it through? as long as these special interests and and make no bones about it these are special interests the fossil fuel industry the fossil fuel companies they make money poisoning us when we burn gasoline in our cars the exhaust that goes into the air causes cancers we know this the soot that goes into the air causes lung disease and copd you know the chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder we used to call it emphysema all of this, or a lot of this stuff, and of course, mining coal, you know, black lung, and, and things like that. Whereas, if we, you, if we did like China's doing right now, or Norway is doing, Norway has said, hey, after next year, I believe it's next year, it might be the year after, you cannot sell a car in Norway, a new car in Norway, that has an internal combustion engine. Their goal is to have all of those cars just phased out entirely. More than half of all the cars right now in Norway are electric cars. And electric car technology is to the point very successfully now where typically electric cars will run 300 miles on a charge. It's a great long distance, and the chargers are getting faster, the batteries are getting better. It's really working. So there are all kinds of solutions here, but the Republicans in the United States and conservatives around the world, you know, back to Kevin Rudd's op ed, he said, you know, Murdoch destroyed democracy in Australia, then he moved to the United Kingdom bought the Times of London, bought a bunch of tabloids, trying to buy a television network there. I don't know if he's pulled it off or not. And poisoned the politics of England, flipping England to the hard right, Maggie Thatcher and all her heirs. And then he moved to the United States and flipped the United States hard right. And it seems to me, now this is just my opinion, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, but it seems to me that this is this money in politics, this media monopoly where the owners of these large radio networks that have literally hundreds and hundreds of radio stations will tell you to your face, as one has told me to my face, actually two of them have told me to my face, no, I'm not going to put progressive programming on because you progressives want to raise my taxes. And, you know, just right out front, Right. And on Fox News, you've got Murdoch just pouring this poison constantly day after day into the bloodstream of America, as he has done in the UK and as he has done in Australia, as the former Australian prime minister is, you know, enthusiastically telling us. What do we do about this? And are we at risk of really just tearing this nation apart because of all this poison and because the Republicans fundamentally have no interest in improving the general welfare. I mean, everybody says, oh, the enumerated powers of Congress, that's the only things they should do, right? Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. Read it sometime. It opens by saying, Congress can appropriate money for the general welfare. It closes by saying, Congress can appropriate money for the general welfare. It lists, you know, 8 or 10 or 11 or whatever it is, things that specifically they want Congress to do. But it's not a limit. It's not a limit. But for, you know, for the Republicans, it is. They're saying, oh, no, you can't do anything more than that. That's it. And the coalition that they're pulling together of gun people and anti-abortion people or forced pregnancy people and companies that don't want to be regulated, in particular the fossil fuel industry, and bigots, right, from you know anti-gay and trans bigots to racial bigots, that's their coalition. None of those groups have a positive agenda for this country. In every single case, what they're selling is fear and hate. So you've got an entire political party that is doing two things. Number one, shoveling as much money as they can from working class people up to the billionaires. Trump has got, what, a half a dozen billionaires in his cabinet, number one. And then number two, they're joining with people who are basically all about Hating other people are trying to regulate, trying to control women and their bodies, wanting everybody to be able to wear a gun on their hip. It's incredible. michael in crestline california hey michael what's on your mind today with all this cabinet
2: scandal going on and the latest with mcconnell and chow why is nobody speaking about the fact that if i'm not mistaken mcconnell got the sanction lifted on Deripaska, and now he wants to build 27 million dollar aluminum plant in Kentucky for McConnell
1: yep I think it's more than that I thought it was 200 million but it's it's substantial whatever it is yes
2: I guess here's another thing that McConnell gets away
1: with I you know we'll see and I hope that the corruption of Mitch McConnell and the corruption of Elaine Chow the Democratic Party uh, sends out every day this they call it the war room they send out kind of the issue of the day and the one that they sent out today is how did Mitch McConnell go eight years ago from being worth two million dollars to today well I mean he's he's uh, his wife is worth hundreds of millions of dollars, so I guess his family's worth a lot more. But his personal uh, net worth went from being a little over $2 million to uh, now it's over $23 million, if I'm remembering the email correctly. It's big. Yeah. And, and where'd that money come from? I mean, how, how did he pull that off, right? And, and, then, and then there's another question. And, Michael, thank you for the call. There's another question, which is, are the Trump kids or the Trump extended crime family, are they profiting on knowing in advance when Trump does things that actually move markets, you know, when he tweets something like, hey, I'm going to do a, a tariff on Mexico. Well, there's, there's a bunch of companies that do a lot of business in Mexico. Their stocks go down. Or I'm going to stop doing the tariff in Mexico. Well, then these companies, their stocks go back up again. And his tweets have been moving markets aggressively now for two years. And we have no idea if his family members, you know, if Jared and Ivanka and, you know, other members of the Trump crime family are making money on this and uh, several democratic members of congress have have said hey you know what the hell is going on here We would like to know. There's so much stuff that I think, frankly, Congress should be looking into. This is just the, we're just scratching the surface. Wilbur Ross, our Commerce Secretary, used to be half-owner of, uh, you know, one of the banks in Cyprus that was laundering money for for the Russian mob out of Russia. And uh, apparently the Russian mob in the United States. And apparently not just the Russian mob. There's a whole bunch of them. You know, a whole bunch of different countries' mobsters. And then, you know, is Donald Trump laundering money through that? Is that why he's got Wilbur Ross, you know, who keeps falling asleep? during cabinet meetings is that why he's got him in his cabinet elaine chow and her family making all this money on shipping in china her family's taiwanese you know what's that about what's going on there it's amazing it's the most corrupt administration ever to the tom hartman program i think you know possibly with the exception of the coolidge administration but even you know with the teapot dome scandal and all that stuff i think this is the most corrupt administration we've ever seen you're listening to tom hartman Many investors are asking, how long will this economic bubble last? When the inevitable crash takes place, what will that look like for your retirement? Will you have enough time to rebuild, or are you currently looking for ways to safeguard your existing portfolio? If the worst happens, it won't just be the markets and real estate. With the Fed's nonstop money printing, a dollar collapse is even more concerning. There are simple charts the Federal Reserve provides to help us investors make educated decisions. Google the Fred chart on the purchasing power of the dollar. And look at the data yourself. Also take notice that the last 100 years of recessions have consistently occurred within 10 years from each other. The last recession was in 2008. What does that tell you? Gold and silver are statistically the best hedge against volatile markets and economies. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask them for their free gold protection guide and protect your future while you still can. Call one own gold That's one eight 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 O 888 gold Wages have finally reached the point where they're almost where they were in the late 70s before Reaganism and giant tax cuts were inflicted upon us. The top tax rate at that point in time was 74 percent. Just a decade earlier in the 60s, it had been 91 percent going all the way back to the 1930s where FDR said it. And what does this have to do with inequality? How does this influence an economy? CNBC just released a new poll that shows that the majority of millionaires and multimillionaires support Elizabeth Warren's suggested wealth tax or 2% levy on wealth of more than 50 million, 3% on wealth over 1 billion. I've been saying forever we need to roll back not just the Trump tax cuts and the Bush tax cuts, but the Reagan tax cuts. This from CNBC, fully 60% of millionaires support Warren's plan for taxing the wealth of those who have more than $50 million in assets. 88% of Democrats, 62% of of independents, 36% of Republicans, but the majority of billionaires. So what does this mean? How does this work? What do taxes have to do with the average economy? And how do they affect your wages? Dr. Richard Wolf is with us, the economist and co founder of Democracy at Work, the author most recently of Capitalism's Crisis Deepens Essays on the Global Economic Meltdown. democracyatwork.info is the website, and rdwolf with two Fs.com, his other website. You can tweet him at profwolf, as in Professor Wolf. Professor Wolf, welcome back.
3: Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here.
1: So, you heard my setup. You want to go off on it?
3: Sure. Two things that immediately come to mind. The staggering reality at least it staggers me that here in the united states when we had the high tax rates coming out of the great depression in the 90s because of what roosevelt did and even into the 80s 70s 60s for many decades after that those early decades after world war ii with the high tax rates had generally lower unemployment than we've had since, and faster economic growth. So the whole idea that you needed to cut the taxes on corporations and the rich to get the economy to work better, the proof of the pudding has been exactly the opposite. As the taxes went down on corporations and the rich, economic growth slowed Unemployment became a more serious problem, and the inequality that these tax cuts produced took such extreme forms that it's now an issue so broadly understood in the American uh, public that socialism has returned as a topic that everybody has to talk about and contend with. The ironies of all of this, the craziness of all of this speaks to the ability of at least a segment of the American uh, community being able to be lined up behind tax cuts no matter how stark the evidence that they have been an engine of inequality and economic decay.
1: I've told two stories on this program relative to this. One is back in the '70s. My business partner Terry O'Connor and I had a very successful business for a couple of years. It was making a lot of money. And I remember when our CPA sat us down and said, "You guys are going to hit a 50% tax bracket." At this point in time, it, the top was 91%. But he says, "You guys are going to hit the 50% tax bracket. You really shouldn't be taking this much money out of the company. You should be expanding your company." And, and so we decided to do that. We hired three new people. We rolled out a new line of products. It was an tea company. We rolled out a line of potpourris. And I think CEOs all over the country were doing the same thing. Average CEO pay was only 30 times the worker pay at that time. Now, that's number one. And then number two, and I'd love to hear you comment on both of these, number two is it seems to me as an employer, I've been an employer for the last 50 years, that generally speaking, employers hire people based on take home paid. Knowing that, and I mean this broadly, I, this is not how it, generally I think about it, but if an employer knows that somebody will do a particular job for, let's say, $30,000 after taxes at the end of the year, then they hire them for whatever, say, it's, say it ends up being 38000 because there's going to be $8,000 in taxes. But if you reduce the taxes on working people, then the employer goes, hey, now they've got more take-home pay, but I know they'll work for less. So over time, they will actually lower their wages. Whereas if you raise the taxes on working people, employers know that, hey, people can't live anymore. We're going to have to raise their wages. Now, that relationship, which is the reverse of what the Republicans are peddling, is also the reverse of how it works with very rich people. Very rich people, you know, the amount of money that they take out of the company doesn't matter, right? It's not because nobody is controlling their wages. They're the ones who can define their wages. What do you think about those things?
3: I think those are all actually very correct, supported by economic science as much as we dare to call ourselves a science. I think the bottom line, though, is that this is mostly a political gambit, that the individualism in the American scene particularly seems to tell a sizable number of our people that anything you do to enhance your own individual situation is okay. I mean, assuming you don't break the law, is okay. Okay you don't have to worry about you don't have to think about the secondary consequences that there's some magic in the world let's call it the invisible hand that will make it all okay for you to look out for number one no matter what and so when it comes to taxes we produce craziness the corporations always want a tax cut they'll make up whatever argument you want i mean look to we're about to see mr trump give mr laffer aptly named uh, an award The man wrote an economics argument that said if you cut taxes it'll be so wonderful for the economy that we'll hire so many more people and we'll do so much more business that we'll get the taxes back and so a tax cut on corporations and the rich really doesn't impact the revenues of the government so nobody need to be worried about it we don't have to worry that we'll have to pick up the tax that we don't have to worry about cut services because the tax cuts pay for themselves for 30 years this nonsense has been peddled it has never worked That doesn't matter. It continues to be peddled, and it's about to get an award. That's because we let corporations and the rich believe that getting something better for them won't have secondary consequences of the sort you just listed. But they always have, and then we are all surprised, A, that it happened, and then in shock, we watch the corporations and the rich keep peddling the same arguments, keep getting the same tax cuts i mean even as i admire the millionaires who said that elizabeth warren is right you really have to sort of take a step back and recognize that they are the beneficiaries of all of these tax cuts there is not a coincidence that the tax cuts step-by-step are in line with the growing inequality of the United States. Those two things are very closely interrelated. They've taken the money that they don't pay in taxes, the CEOs and so on, and given themselves the enormous pay packages, which is why that statistic you gave, 30 to 1 was the CEO to the average worker ratio back in the 60s and 70s, and it's closer to 300 to 1 now. That's where the tax cuts went. They didn't go to economic growth. They didn't go to stimulate investment They went to create a class of folks at the top who are out of control in their wealth hunting. And this inequality is fostered by this logic that you can do these things and it won't have secondary consequences. They'll just be the benefits of tax cuts without all the costs that they inevitably bring with them.
1: Yeah. Now, back during the Eisenhower administration, correct me if your information conflicts with mine, but because uh, I'm doing this from memory, but I, I wrote about this back in. 2014 in a book called Rebooting the American Dream. And my recollection is that during the Eisenhower administration, one third of total federal revenues, money coming into the government, was in the form of corporate taxes. That's and right. and today it's about 6%. That's right. And of course, back during the Eisenhower administration, Republican President Dwight Eisenhower was just very, very happy with a 91% top tax rate. And now okay. the top tax rate is somewhere between 21% and 30%, depending on what kind of corporate structure and how you're taking your money out and all that kind of stuff. In your opinion, what are appropriate tax rates? The thing that I've noticed is it seems that in countries where the top tax rate, and we're talking about taxes on millionaires and billionaires, not working people, the top tax rate is over 50%. It tends to stabilize the economy and stabilize the labor market. Where it's under 50%, it tends to be unstable. Now, it's just my observation. Where should it be, both the individual tax rates and the corporate tax rates?
3: Well, before I answer, let me summarize what you just said, because it's really important for people to get it. Over the last 40 to 50 years, the tax structure at the federal level has been summarized by these two movements. The burden of taxation on corporations and business has been drastically reduced in favor of taxes on individuals and among individuals the burden of taxation has been reduced mostly for those at the top and shifted to those in the middle at the bottom and you put those two things together you have the economic history of the united states in the last forty years and the explanation for the absurd inequality that is now so gross as to overshadow almost everything else about the economy as a consequence of all of that so my first reaction like many others, is why in the world haven't we long ago recognized the absurd consequences and reversed the process? Let's go back to the tax levels of the 60s and the 50s because. It- the, the irony is that we're not talking about confiscatory taxes we're not talking about russia or china or communism or anything like that we're talking about american history what our previous leaders republican and democrat thought was a reasonable amount of taxes the basic idea always being you tax most those most able to pay a simple principle directly applicable it could be and should be done at all the levels people should remember that if you think the federal taxes aren't fair when you move to state and local it's even grosser because the ability to pay criterion has virtually disappeared so the opening gun of what i would say is a a much more like the fifties and sixties level of taxes. And then beyond that, wealth taxes, which should have been part of the American scene, haven't been and are different from income taxes. And therein lies a whole nother dimension we ought to explore.
1: Yeah, and as far as I know, Elizabeth Warren is the only person talking about this, but its I think it's great stuff. Professor Richard Wolff, thank you so much for your wisdom today. It's always a pleasure. And, and I always learn talking to you. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Tom. Look forward
1: to the next time. This is the Tom Hartman Program.
0: Stephanie Miller here. If you watch 60 Minutes and you own a home, you just got very nervous. I did. The FBI's former head of cybercrimes warned homeowners that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home and do it all online. That's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked. If you have equity in your home, here's how they get you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, and stick you with the payments. And no bank or identity theft program protects you. You need Home Title Lock, America's leading title and mortgage guardian. For pennies a day, Home Title Lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title and mortgage. If cyber thieves tamper with it, we mobilize to help shut it down. You may already be a victim. Here's how to find out. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register for your free title scan and report. $100 value, free with sign-up. Don't let cyber thieves steal your home. Go to HomeTitleLock.com like I did. That's HomeTitleLock.com. One more time, that's HomeTitleLock.com.
1: So let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by GoatsFortheOldGoat.com and Alan Ratner's new book, Loving What You Do on the line with us is the chief foreign correspondent for Talk Media News. Joining us from New York, Luke Vargas. You can follow him on Twitter at the Courier. Luke Pope Francis hanging out with oil executives at the Vatican. What's this? kind of interesting. This is the second attempt
4: by the Vatican, sort of, if you want to think of it as their sort of public health ministry, trying to get together fossil fuel stakeholders. So that's both the oil executives, CEOs of Royal Dutch Shell and BP and Exxon and Chevron and Conoco and everything, but also financial advisory firms like State Street, who counsel people on institutional investments and have a say in whether they divest from fossil fuels or not. So they they tried to do this about a year ago and get these executives and financial folks to agree on some positions about carbon pricing and the disclosures that these companies make to their investors and the public about the extent to which they're factoring climate change into their financial modeling. And they failed to do it before. They succeeded today. Um, Again, the real measure of these things is going to be in boardrooms and in investor conferences. And we've seen discouraging, you know, obviously, practices going back decades, but even right up until this week on that front. And yet, What these executives have signed on the dotted line saying is is sort of remarkable. They support carbon pricing. The language used here is that carbon pricing systems, quote, should be set up by governments at levels that incentivize business practices, consumer behavior, research, and investment to significantly advance the energy transformation while minimizing the cost of vulnerable communities. And I have to say, and and on disclosure, basically saying you got to be honest. you got to tell shareholders what you're actually thinking on the inside. And, again, actions matter more than words, but I have to tell you, this kind of thing is encouraging to see. A little dismaying in the context of current U.S. politics, but it shows you the convening power of governments and civic organizations, you know, or religious groups like the Vatican, when they want to get people together. Uh, these executives will come and they will do it, right. and you can really embrace cross-cutting solutions to problems like this.
1: Yeah, and, it's and dismaying. The- Thing, the and, and, U.S. is not doing that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the Vatican is a government as well. I mean, right. they have a seat at the United Nations. Leo DiCaprio, his new movie on the climate, on climate change, is called Ice on Fire, and it's showing on HBO. And people can watch it for free, even if you don't have an HBO account, by going to HBO.com tonight and watch it. I helped put this movie together, and I appear in it a couple of times. But his right. previous movie, which was two or three years ago, I went to Toronto yes. with him for the film festival and. We did a colloquy on stage together. That movie, he went to the Vatican. He had a long conversation with the Pope. He, the Pope is in the movie. And my understanding is that the Pope saw the movie and liked it. And it was a very powerful movie about the need for change. And I don't know if Leo had anything to do with the Pope. I, I, I think they probably both are reading the same research. But yeah. this thing is going. This thing is going. Yeah. So, and I would say uh, the other thing that made me excited about this is that it served to me to be an admission
4: that for all of the efforts by these fossil fuel companies, and we're definitely going to see this in the next election here, to attack candidates who propose big solutions and steps, even those that haven't been articulated yet, that are in the vein of the Green New Deal, which say, all right, you're concerned about the cost? Well, that's why we built in social justice-oriented Uh, investments, you know, or you're concerned about uh, the differences between rich and poor countries, well, we have to embrace technology transfer or all these sorts of things. This is an admission that a all of the above approach is actually the right way to do it, even yeah. though the funding, again, and the lobbying will be used to say to point to specific individual problems with an ambitious climate agenda and say, "Well, the, the price tag alone is enough to kill it. Oh, the effects on displaced, you know, fossil right. fuel workers is yeah. enough to kill it. This is an admission by the people who know this issue the best that actually that all of the above approach is precisely the way to get this done. So now we have a, uh, it seems, a template." a rubric on which to to weigh the actual actions that these companies take, once they leave behind the moral high ground right. of the Vatican.
1: We just heard from the Japanese owner of this tanker, uh, one of these two tankers in the Straits of Hormuz, that they were hit by bullets. These are not mines, and the U.S. government's is lying. What else are we hearing? Yeah, the German government has come out and said a little bit more of a diplomatically neutral statement, but saying
4: in and of itself the U.S. evidence is not enough that you need to get more outside analysis of what's going on but we should also not just blanketly trust iranian denials here either so they're yeah. trying to walk a delicate middle ground but the u.s is making that hard on
1: my concern is we're seeing remember the main you know uh, the spanish-american war was based on a fraud the steam boiler exploded and the gulf of tonkin was based on a fraud we've seen this movie twice now in american history i'm very concerned that it's being repeated but we'll see luke vargas of talk media news thank you luke Thank you, Tom. I may be coming to your city soon on our book tour for The Hidden History of Guns and the Second Amendment. On Saturday, June 22nd, I'll be in Los Angeles, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. This is part of the KPFK Speaker Series. And I'm assuming the information is at kpfk.org. And there's a Facebook link as well on our website. On Sunday, June 23rd, the next day, that evening, I'll be in Seattle. I'll be doing my show from KBCS, and we'll be uh, at Town Hall that night. On Tuesday, the 25th of June, I'll be in Berkeley at the First Church, an affiliation with the AM910 in San Francisco, our San Francisco affiliate. In Chicago, uh, with WCPT, June 28th, I'll be at Frugal Muse, which is in Darien on Saturday, June 29, in uh, Minneapolis. Actually, it's in St. Paul. Common Good Books on Snelling Avenue in St. Paul. And on Friday, July 12th, I'll be in Philadelphia at Netroots Nation, and we're gonna be doing a gig there. So it's all over at TomHarbin.com. You can check it out. And I look forward to seeing and meeting you. Tom Harmon here with you. And on the line with us, our old buddy, Dean Obadala, the host of the Dean Obadala Show weekdays, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern on SiriusXM XM Progress, channel 127, the very channel that you can hear me on right now. He's also a columnist with the Daily Beast. His website is deanofradio.com. And he is the dean of radio. And you can tweet him at Dean Obadala, O-B-E-I-D-A-L-L-A-H. Dean, welcome back. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me on. It is always great talking to you. See, you just had an amazing victory. Tell us this story. Sure.
5: I filed a lawsuit about a year and a half ago against the Daily Stormer and Andrew England, the publisher, and that's a neo-Nazi website. It's named after Der Stormer, which was one of Hitler's favorite propaganda publications. And the Daily Stormer in the real world today is just as racist and anti-Semitic. And to go backwards slightly, what happened is I wrote an article on May thirty first, two thousand seventeen, where this before Charlottesville, three months before Charlottesville, saying why won't Trump use the words white supremacist terrorism? And the reason I did is that we had already three to four Americans killed on U.S. soil by self-avowed white supremacists. And Trump said during the campaign, Tom, as we know, you can't defeat ISIS if you won't say radical Islamic terrorism. So I just applied his philosophy to this issue. Well, that upset his followers at the Daily Stormer. And you, you mean his Nazi has followers? followers. Speculating, he supported. Donald Trump, as the Southern Poverty Law Center noted, Andrew England wrote over 100 articles for his publication in the 2016 campaign, praising Donald Trump. They loved Donald Trump. When Trump won, he said, "We won." Andrew England wrote a whole article about how we, as white supremacists (they don't call themselves that, but we have won), so I mock their beloved Trump, and so they came after me and they smeared me with an article on the Daily Stormer saying I was a terrorist, an ISIS terrorist involved in the. Bombing that had just happened in Manchester, England, at the Ariana Grande concert. Oh my God!
1: We should add if people don't no, you're you're Muslim. Right. Yeah.
5: Well, they that they went after what I've been working to dispel throughout my career, as first as a comedian, now in the media, that the idea that Muslims are inherently dangerous or terrorist. So they went after. The very work I've been doing for decades, frankly, right. and they did it on purpose because I am Muslim. That's why. And then they, worst, Tom, they fabricated tweets which they couldn't post online. Thankfully, they looked exactly like my tweets in their article. And in that article, talked about me taking credit for the bombing, praising it with Islamic terms like Allah Akbar and grace of Allah. This has happened. I'm so happy. And then they said, Andrew England said, go confront Dean. And that's not go confronting, like, debate, debate him. This is go confronting, like, threaten him or f- kill him. Because Daily Stomer readers, Tom, have engaged in violence. Dylan Roof was a Daily Stormer reader. James Jackson, who I wrote about in my article in May 2017, had come to New York in March 2017 to start a race war. He killed one African-American man, random guy he found, was arrested, thankfully, and charged with terrorism. So this is a dangerous place. It's not armchair white supremacists. These are people who go out and kill people. So... That's what got me to the point of filing a lawsuit in federal court to sue them for defamation and emotional distress. And that's what took me to this week in Ohio, where I found myself.
1: Mm -hmm. And this lawsuit went before a jury, I'm assuming, or before a judge?
5: No, it went before a judge. What happened is we could not find him to serve him. Even though he was incorporated in Ohio, he has bank (laughs) accounts in Ohio. And his father lives there because we deposed Andrew England's father, Greg Anglin. We can't find him, but we were able to do substituted services called from a legal point of view, which is by publication. We served, him. the judge made us come in for a proof hearing on a judgment by default. So I had to go in, testify. We had an expert testify about some of their bank accounts and Bitcoin accounts. And the judge entered a judgment in the amount of $4.1 million. Yeah. Before anyone sends me an email asking for money, I'm going to tell you, if we're not going to collect $4.1 you'll, million. You'll dollars, probably
1: never see a penny of that. I mean, it sounds like he's judgment-proof. If, first of all, this brave guy is hiding out like a cowering child. But secondly, my understanding is his dad has been supporting him.
5: His dad, as well as Dad, testified in our hearing. He collects checks sent to him, and from our own experts who testified, in England's Bitcoin account, he'd collected over two hundred thousand dollars in the last six months. So there's money there. It's also oh. a Chase bank account. So we are going to, and I have aggressive. Debt collectors in Ohio and all the lawyers work for free. Latham and Watkins and the Chowndrew Law Firm and Muslim Advocates is the ones, it's a civil rights group that helps not just Muslims, but Muslims are in the title because that's who runs it. They did it all for free to help clear my name. God bless. And him. to send the message that you we're not going to cower in fear when you threaten us. We're not going to hide in the shadows. We're going to come out. We're going to sue you. We're going to get a judgment. We're going to collect every penny you have. And any dollar I get, I'm not keeping. We are doing what Donald Trump will not do. They attacked me because I attacked Trump. That's what this right. was about. They came to his aid because they love him.
1: He's their white supremacist savior. Sure, and for him and Stephen him, Miller. It, yeah. Dean, uh, a quick question. I saw this quote from Maya Angelou that really struck me. And I'm, this, I'm doing this from memory, but I think that she said, hate has never successfully helped or built or raised a movement or a country. Hmm. I, her her quote was so much more eloquent, but right. can you think of any country that has ever successfully been built and run and raised on hatred?
5: So have there have been times in history, clearly, that demagogues have come to power, demonizing certain groups. Obviously, Hitler is the most... Ex-
1: Yeah, but they always collapse within a generation, don't they?
5: That's the truth. That's what happens. You have lesser ones. You have like Viktor Orban in Hungary and others, Poland, some of the leaders there, trying to plan that now. In time, it tends to collapse. Unfortunately, innocent people suffer and are often killed in between that. And that's what we're dealing with, with these white supremacists that Donald Trump retweeted during the campaign people with twitter handles like white genocide and he refused to announce david duke when asked by jake tapper in february 2016 there's a reason david duke said you're a traitor to your heritage as a white person not to support donald trump there's a reason andrew eglin daily stormer loved Donald Trump and would actually threaten to kill me and I got death threats from their followers because I went after their beloved Donald Trump.
1: Amazing stuff. If you don't listen to Dean Obadala's show over on SiriusXM, get over there and check it out. Dean Obadala, deanofradio.com is his website. You can check it all out there. And of course, he's on the SiriusXM channel 127, SiriusXM Progress. He's on the channel at 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern time. Dean, thanks for dropping by. Thanks, Tom. Nice chatting with you. Great talking with you. Elizabeth McLaughlin posted this extraordinary thread on Twitter yesterday. I retweeted it with a quote from Jesus from, as I recall, Matthew 18, where he talked about those who harm children better if they had a millstone hung around their neck and got drowned in the sea. Let me just read this thread to you or a piece of it. It's just extraordinary. She tweets, my friend has done now two tours volunteering as a legal advocate inside CBP uh, facilities. This is the ICE facilities where they're locking up children, basically. She passed along information about what's happening there that indicates that the Trump administration is violating every basic human right and is moving toward military, quote, solutions. So that folks understand the process, CBP has outposts on the border. Refugees seeking asylum travel hundreds of miles on foot, including with infants and small children, and turn themselves into these people at these outposts on foot. Here's what happens next. The CBP then transfers these human beings to a facility called the Dog Pound. Here, my friend started crying as she told me this story. The Dog Pound is comprised of cages outside and on dirt with no protection from the elements. There are dozens of teen moms there. There is no baby food. While there, my friend saw a CBP agent take a baby from her teenage mother, strip the baby of its clothes, hand the baby back to the mother, and then send them outside to the dog pound to sleep in the dirt. The dog pound has no running water, no covers, no tarp, no care, no safety from the elements. It is freezing at night and deadly hot during the day. Everyone is sick. My friend said she saw a baby on this trip that was so sick, quote, I thought it would be dead by morning. Toddlers in the dog pound who have been eating solid food are given only infant formula. Moms are trying to start breastfeeding again so their children don't starve. These moms are dehydrated, sick, and will walk miles through desert with no water. CBP gives them nothing. It gets worse. From the dog pound, these human beings are moved to an area called the freezer. The freezer is kept at 55 degrees. Some of the refugees who are moved there are still wet from their journey, and they are put in the freezer wet. CBP is keeping human beings in the freezer for weeks at a time, weeks, including critically ill people, disabled people, sick children, teenage mothers with babies. The floor of the freezer is made of dirt or very rough concrete. There are no beds. From the freezer, refugees are supposed to be moved to ICE facilities that are designed for residential care that would have beds, food, and bathrooms. However, those facilities are empty. ICE is shutting them down. What our government is doing instead is moving refugees to military installations. The announcement about Fort Sill, which was used as a Japanese internment camp, is only the start. So why would our government be doing this? Here's why. These concentration camps, yes, let's call them what they are, will be under the control of the Department of Homeland Security, but within the Department of Defense. Unlike ICE facilities, which will allow site inspectors inside, there will be no inspections of military run camps. The military will be able to deny access to anyone it chooses. No media, no oversight. Lawyers will not be allowed in. Human right monitors will not be allowed in. The camps will also be protected airspace, meaning that no drones can fly over and take pictures of what's going on inside. The Trump administration will be able to conduct itself in whatever way it wants to without anyone knowing what's going on inside. Think about what that means. Think about why they would want that. Gee, this is happening right now. I remember when we lived in Germany visiting Dachau. Dachau was not a death camp. It was a, quote, labor camp, although they had ovens there to dispose of the bodies of the people that they literally worked to death or starved to death or who died of diphtheria. This is like eerily familiar. Ice facilities with beds and food are empty, because the Trump administration is moving refugees into military-run concentration camps where they can do anything they choose without oversight, without media scrutiny, and without advocate access. This administration is already committing these atrocities at CBP facilities. Border Patrol agents at the facility where my friend was working refer to these human beings as bodies, not people, bodies. They are denying medicine, toilets, beds, food, shelter, and clothes. My friend said that Flores, a person, is on very tenuous ground. We're days away from being met with, we're not going to let you in no matter what. What is coming are crimes against humanity. America is already perpetrating mass human rights violations, and this administration is setting it up to do far worse in secret under military supervision. Military forces are already being shifted to CPB. My friend saw Coast Guard agents, read that again, working for CBP at this facility. If we do nothing, there will be blood on our hands. If Pelosi does nothing, there will be blood on her hands, in the hands of every Democrat who refuses to act to end this administration's reign. Fascism is here. If this enrages you, devastates you, frightens you, share this thread, then call your member of Congress and read it to them, Then call Speaker Pelosi and ask why she sits by silently as our government does this. We are on a fast train to hell. There's only one way to stop it. Trump must be removed from power immediately by any legal means using every weapon in our disposal. Amen. This is what's going on. And it is terrible.
2: You've been listening to Tom Hartman.